Hey, welcome to the Kindling Fire podcast. I have a very big announcement. My family and I, my younger two kids, and my wife and I are going to be joining Youth with the Mission as missionaries, and we're going to be leaving September the 27th. Um, uh, I've had people ask, uh, will the Kindling Fire continue? Yes, I plan to continue the podcast and the blogs and all the other things that I'm doing as best I can uh, as we are in training and then eventually going on to outreach. Um, if you would l- like to learn more about that adventure that my wife and I and family are taking, go to our website, Troy and Kathy with a K. TroyandKathy.com, or go to YouTube and subscribe to our Mangum Adventures channel. Okay, let's get to the podcast. I used to come home in tents because I'm a type A and I'm a builder, you know, and I'm building this church and I'm driving and stuff. And finally, my wife, and I have five little kids at home, and my wife finally said to me, you know, uh, Robert, you don't need to come in the house until you want to be a dad. And I'd say, what do you mean? And And she'd say, why don't you sit in your suburban in the driveway and just unwind until you're ready to take your hat off and put your father hat on because we don't need you coming home in tents and being Mr. Businessman and all wound up. These kids are waiting for their hero to come home. So why don't you just sit in the car for half an hour, an hour, and when you're ready to be a dad and change gears, then you can come in the house. But we don't need you coming in the house being all rocked, locked up real tight. Can you do that? And I'd say, wow, that's harsh. And so I had to sit in my car to change my hats because I, I'm a focused, driven, driving, comp- I want to do something. And then my kids just want me to mellow out. And I never was mellow. And I had to learn how to become mellow. Hey, welcome to the Kindling Fire. My name is Troy Mangum. St. Ignatius said, the glory of God is man fully alive. Jesus said, it is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. This podcast is here to bring God glory through you becoming fully alive and you bearing much fruit or having powerful results in your life. I believe you can use your unique gifts and talents to change the world. If you listen to this show and read our blogs, you will be inspired to take your own journey of faith to become a man or woman who is fully alive, making an impact in the world around you. I interview people that I think are awesome that are doing that today to inspire and to challenge you. You can do the same. Let's get rolling. Today on The Kindling Fire, I have the honor and the privilege to have someone incredibly special on the show. Before I tell you his name, uh, I want to tell you just a, just a tip of the iceberg a little bit about him. Uh, two, in 2009, uh, Triathlete Magazine named this person the most interesting triathlete in the world. And this year, uh, Triathlete Magazine named him the fittest 66-year-old in the world, period. His name is Robert Hamilton Owens, and I'm glad to have you on the show, Robert. Uh, it's fun to be here. Thanks for inviting me. So um, I always like to ask where uh, where you are at. So where are you located right now? You know, I'm suffering in Newport Beach, California. To all the listeners, I hope you're having a nice summer wherever you are. I'm not too far from the beach. <laughs> so one of the things in getting ready for the show is just a small tidbit. Uh, it turns out that you actually were uh, friends and uh, classmates with uh, former Kindling Fire guest Stephen Mansfield at ORU many years ago. 
You know, Stephen Mansfield is my hero. I hope he's listening to this. We had intertestamental studies together, which all the Protestant guys don't have a clue what that is unless you went to seminary. That's all the stuff that was cut out of the Bible in the beginning. So the Catholics keep the Apocrypha, and Stephen and I, of course he got straight A's, Stephen and I took intertestamental lit, which is the Apocrypha and the Pseudopigrapha. And those are all the mystery writings that, that were cut out of either the Catholic Bible because they were too mysterious, or the Protestant Bible, so the Apocrypha is in the Catholic Bible, and that's part of, of the intertestamental writings. And the, the early church fathers had to figure out which, which letters, which stories to canonize. And we know that we have our New Testament, Old Testament scriptures, but they cut out a bunch. Stephen and I took that class, and Stephen, Stephen and I were in a group together <laughs> trying to get straight A's out of all these weird, weird documents. And um, we had fun. So Steve is obviously... Um, so smart, so gifted, and we did ORU together back in the days when we were wanting to be real Bible heads. <laughs> that was a that was a nice. When I found that out, I was like, "Oh, that is such a small world." So, uh, Robert, when I think of you, uh, a scripture comes to mind, and uh, it's this scripture, and it says, "The race is not given to the swift, nor to the strong." But unto them that endure to the end. That's Ezekiel, I'm sorry, Ecclesiastes 9.11. And, and, I, and I think of you, and because and, I was introduced to you many years ago, probably 12 years ago, when I was in my late 30s and early 40s, and you were talking probably longer, about... Probably yeah, longer ago than that. <laughs> yeah, maybe. You know what? You might be completely true. You were talking about... Uh, how men need nobility, and, and and you were talking about running in circles with um, uh, maximized manhood, Dr. What Edward Lewis Cole, and and I was eating up your teachings, and I was reading a lot of Edward Lewis Cole at the time, and I just thought, man, this guy is calling me up higher to something more than duty, uh, to something more. Uh, that God could, I could be as a guy. So, you know, that's that's kind of how I got introduced to you. And then I had a bunch of people. Your listeners' choice. They were saying you got to have this guy on the show. <laughs> you know, um, there's a great word on nobility, especially out of the NIV. First Timothy three one says, "Here's a trustworthy saying: If anyone sets his heart on becoming an overseer or an elder," They desire a noble path, meaning that some people desire to be nobles. Some people desire to care less if they have any nobility on them. Another word for nobility would be stature. And so with Dr. Cole, back in the days, for those that may or may not remember, he was the founder of the Promise Keepers movement, men's movement. He preached a message one time, are you a promise keeper or are you a promise breaker? And Coach McCartney heard that thing, and he started Promise Keepers after hearing Dr. Cole. Are you a promise keeper or a promise breaker? And Dr. Cole and I, we did about 30 nations together, calling men to become men of stature and excellence and nobility. And again, what is a noble? A noble is someone who chooses to take responsibility for others. And someone who isn't just responsible for themselves, but they're responsible for others. 
And so the teaching goes, first, can you be responsible for yourself? And second of all, can you be responsible for your wife? Can you thirdly be responsible for your wife and your kids? And then fourth, can you be responsible for a small group of And how much responsibility are we put on your shoulders that you're willing to take responsibility for? And so Jesus, again, the teaching would be, um, Adam wouldn't take responsibility for any of his sins, period, and Jesus took responsibility for the sins of the whole world. Where do you fall into that continuum of Adam who said, hey, it's not my fault, it's my wife. You know, it's not my fault, it's the cop, it's the judge, it's the, it's the school teacher, it's, the, it's whatever. Or down the road, you know, no, I want to take responsibility for my whole church. I want to take responsibility for my city. No, I want to take responsibility for my nation. Who do I want to be? How much responsibility am I willing to walk in? And when you heard that message, um, that message was capturing me as well as attempting to be lived by me because he said to me, hey, Robert, how many people are you willing to take care of? And I said, gosh, I don't know. And I went to Billy Joe Doherty, and he was in Tulsa with Victory, and he and I were at school together and then on the ORU Board of Directors sort of alumni board together. I, Billy Joe said one time, you know, there's 100 and, uh, 150,000 people in, in um, what was it, in Tulsa. And he then said, you know, how big of a church God said do you want to build? A church for 3,000? So you want to take care of 3,000 of the 150,000? Or you want to take care of 5,000? Or you want to take care of 10,000? Or how many people, Billy Joe, are you willing to take responsibility for for the city of Tulsa. And I remember Billy Joe saying to me in this group, he said, you know, I felt like God told me to build a church for 10,000 people and that somebody else would take care of the other, other, other 140,000. And it was such a huge concept of just, can you be responsible? And most men aren't responsible for their sins. Most men are not responsible for their growth. Most men are not, not responsible for lots of things. And, you know, my wife this or my kids that or whatever it is. And so it's a whole thing of from Adam to Jesus. And it's a great thought. So that's how that went. Mm-hmm. So good. So, uh, you know, I, I, can't, I can't move past this one point. I, I was, so here, here's my next question to you based on that. That responsibility that the Lord invites us to, and sometimes we say yes to, um, if not handled well, do you believe that will crush a man? Could? Yeah, yeah you bet. Um, pressure makes men, and pressure breaks men. The same pressure that makes one couple is the same pressure that will break another couple. Yeah. You know, you get an autistic child, a child with spinal bifida, you get a kid, and some like we, we know that autistic families have about a 95% divorce rate uh, because you stop being lovers, you stop being best friends, you be caretakers, you both have this full-time needy child and you stop having a life of your own. And so there are different kinds of pressures that have an effect on us. And it just is amazing to me um, that the pressure on, on one guy breaks another guy. And you never know. I tell kids when you get when they're dating and before you say I do classes, I say, you don't really know your spouse until you fight with them because they're, they're always on their honeymoon stage. They're always acting great, but you never know until they lose it who they really are, and then they morph on you, and you go, wow, I didn't know that creature was in there. And so 
you know, pressure is a huge issue, and you got to be careful. Yeah, and and one of the things that I'm so excited about having you on on the show is your life has been you've you've had pressure put on you, you've created pressure on yourself, you've got uh, sort of a long history of, um, I would say, winning and failing in that area, and it's not like any other man, um, but you've done it in very uh, spectacular ways, I'll say that, and let's just segue into a little bit of what you've actually done. Tell us a little bit about, you know, why would the Triathlete Magazine say you're the most interesting person uh, interesting uh, triathlete in the world. Get that for me. Well, because um, I think, you know, when I, before I got saved, I did a bunch of stuff. And, uh, you know, I was, I was Air Force Special Forces. I was a regiment. I did that not because I was such a hot guy, but because I dodged the draft back from Vietnam. And the Lord told me to make everything right in my life out of Luke. And all of a sudden, um, you know, everything, Lord. He said, yeah, I like everything. And so the Lord said, you have no integrity. I was a baby Christian. The Lord said, you have no integrity. You dodged two for the Army, so you owe me four. So I didn't tell the Air Force that I was unqualified by the Army being a Dodge Strapper. And so I went ahead and said, well, I'm going to do it. I was going out. So I went and did Air Force Special Forces. And from that led me to all kinds of mountain climbing and scuba diving and parachuting. And I learned men's ministry. Uh, being a team leader of all these unsaved men who could give a rip about Jesus or religion, and I think they ate those guys for lunch, as well as, you know, I learned how to grow up. It was too bad that the church couldn't help me grow up, but I had to go into Pharaoh's army, and Pharaoh grew me up, and the military grew me up. When I came out, I was a different guy, and I started smuggling Bibles in Eastern Europe because I was bored, and I went to a Bible school, I went to theology school, you know, and got a degree in theology, and I've just been, you know, all over the world and done a bunch of stuff and uh, had some great times. Um, I think, you know, I've, I've uh, spoken to 50,000, you know, Roman Catholic leaders in Mexico City, all the way down to losing my house and finding myself at the lowest end, hugging, hugging the throne, a toilet at the Marriott Hotel at LAX with no money during the recession in the middle of the night thinking, wow, the rise and fall, <laughs> you know, it's one thing to to be the man and do things and travel and speak and build a church. That's another thing to find yourself with no money. No one's willing to pick you up hitchhiking and you go back and hide in some Marriott hotel toilet on the floor and sleep all night, hugging the throne, hoping that the janitor doesn't find you and kick you out as a vagrant. So you, you get all kinds of things in life and life throws its stuff at you and you hope it's interesting and not crushing. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that's why I love that scripture in the beginning, because there's a lot of men that are swift and strong, but then you fast forward 10 years later, and it's gone. And whereas the Bible says, in the race is won by those that endure. And, and so many... And you know this so well, especially in your exposure to SEAL training. You know, people, you don't come out of that without enduring. <laughs> it just doesn't, I mean, you won't, right? You know, for the guys listening, um, and again, we're talking because we know there's 30, 40, 50-year-old guys on there, some pastors on, 
there's some men's leaders on, there's some just guys on, finished a weekend um, doing a Navy SEAL hunt. Been up all night long, two nights ago, with a group of about, uh, we only had 12 left out of 30. We're doing a Navy SEAL Hell Week down on the beach in the Pacific, and they were doing their ocean portion of six and seven hours in and out of the ocean all night long, doing CrossFit games stuff in the sand. And uh, I looked at this this one cute um, Estee Lauder <laughs> makeup woman executive, and she's about five six and about 150 pounds, and she's. Um, here from Dubai. She's an Irish woman from Ireland who's working in Dubai as an executive, and her CrossFit coach dares her to come try this Navy SEAL challenge. And she's there shivering in hypothermia. We have her, we put all the guys into hypothermia, and then uh, she looked at me, and I said, I just, just said, smile, you'll not die. Just breathe. And I had her emulate how to breathe and get control of her mind and her emotions. And this gal made it. And there were 15 other men that quit and didn't make it. And when she hugged me at the end, she said, I didn't know you could go through so many emotions and so much pain in, in 52 hours. And I said, it's like life. You never know what life's going to throw at you. And you did great because at the moment when you wanted to give in, given you gathered yourself and you figured out what was best, and somebody gave you a smile, and you took something from that, and you made it. And she just cried and cried, and she just hugged me and said, thank you. I said, it's life. You're 30 years old. You're going to do great things to your life, and this will change your life forever. So for the men out there, there's, there's different kinds of things. In the strong finish, life's a, a long, long life. I just buried my dad at 101. And I lived with him from 92 101, he said, gosh, if I had known I was going to live this long. And he was a 40-year Sunday school teacher, you know, and life dealt him some stuff there at the end, died with cancer and things. So you just have to, you just have, to have good friends. You've got to have a good, a good foundation. You've got to know the word. The word has to be in you. And you have to be ready to flex and flow because life just has its way of having its way with you. And it's not the Bible you know. It's the pressure. The pressure will let you know how good your Bible is inside of you. Mm. So let's. So you really, at this stage of your life, have distinguished yourself as, uh, you know, again the the fittest sixty six year old in the world. You have. Um, you are the oldest man to ever complete the Navy SEALs uh, Kokoro training. Uh, which is right. what you're talking about. It's like a hell week, 50 hours of, of pure, 52 hours of pure endurance and, <laughs> and difficulty. Uh, yeah, that's true. Uh, and, and you have, um, uh, this year, I believe, completed the World Marathon Challenge. Can you explain what that is? Yeah, uh, the World Marathon Challenge is where you run seven marathons in seven days on seven different continents. And that's a wild deal in and of itself. Um, you start in the Antarctic, and the gun goes off, and you do an Arctic or Antarctic marathon at about, you end up at about 30 below zero plus wind, and you get on a plane and fly to Cape Town for number two, and that just happened to be five and a half hours later, and it was 90 above. 
So that's a whole other story about people blisters and swollen feet and heat and heat exhaustion. And then number three, you fly from, from Cape Town, you go over to Perth, which is great, long flight, get your first good sleep. And that's 11 hours to go to Perth, you run a night marathon, then you fly up to Asia, which is Dubai, they choose. You run around Dubai at night, and then you fly from Dubai to Lisbon, Portugal, and you do Lisbon at night, and then the rain on cobblestones, a winter night in, in Europe, just wild. And then, then you get the long flight to Cartagena, Colombia, for day number six, and you uh, run around Cartagena, Colombia in the heat, and then you fly up to Miami for your last marathon, and you run that marathon uh, about seven hours after you finish the Cartagena one. <laughs> and so you knock out seven marathons in seven 24-hour periods. And there was uh, 50 of us this year. I was the second oldest, I think the second oldest ever. The other guy was a French guy, real, real, you know, you know what the bad water is? No. Bad water, bad water is where you run Death Valley in the summertime. You run over to the mountains, and then you run up to Mount Whitney, 14,000 feet, the highest mountain in California. So it's the bad water, uh, what a marathon or what's called. So you run the heat, 115 degrees, and then you run up the mountain. And this guy had done it twice in his 60s. So he was a runner. I'm not a, I'm not a runner. I'm a survivor, but he's a real runner. Anyway, there was 50 guys, so 50 people, uh, 35 guys, and 15 women from all over the world. And we did that in February. It's called the World Marathon Challenge. Actually, what I tried to do is I tried to do five different events for my 65th birthday to just sort of reset some things. So I did, if all the guys probably saw the movie, The 300 with King Leonidas of the Greece, did that one. We reenacted it as a Navy SEAL fundraiser for the guys that died in Benghazi. So if you remember the Hillary Clinton issue, what happened with the ambassador, those four Navy SEAL contractors Myself and some Navy SEALs and some other guys, we did a fundraiser across Greece from Sparta to Thermopylae where the Persians defeated or the, the, the 300 did a suicide mission and stopped the Persians from invading Greece. And that's why they're not speaking Farsi today instead of Greek. So I like to quote George Washington America. And then from there, I did a, a, a marathon run, swim, run called The Quest for, for lifeguards that have died in Southern California. That was from San Clemente Pier to Newport Beach Pier. And then did um, the Kokoro thing, the 52-hour thing, and then did a Ironman, my 12th Ironman, three weeks later, and then did the 777. After that, to culminate a five-endurance series thing and um, tried to work on, is it possible to grow stronger and older at the same time, or do we just, are we destined to become weaker the older that we get? I don't want to get feeble as I get to 66. I want to get feeble towards 80. I'd like to get stronger towards 80 and live a healthy life and let God take me healthy versus let, let God take me with a big, fat stomach and uh, diabetes and cholesterol and heart disease and blah, blah, blah. So I, I'd like to go out being healthy and whenever I go out and versus just being weak and can't get off the floor when I play with my grandkids. Yeah. So... Um... That is just if incredible. I ramble, if, I ramble, if I ramble, just shut me off. The no, I mean, your list, like the endurance race in Greece, that was uh, 238 miles in eight days. Uh, you've run 12 Ironmans, like you've said. You've, you've started running them in 1980 and, and up until uh, this last year. I mean, you have physically done things that very, very 
if any, few people have done at your age. And, and what I want to segue into is a little bit of what we were talking about going into the show was where did this endurance activity come from? Because you were talking about it in the context of, of kind of creating a space in your life that, that was you could control or understand or, or, or something when your life was, was kind of not in control. And so can you speak to a little bit about the genesis of a lot of this? You know, first, um, I was an average athlete and in high school and stuff, never first, you know, it was just average. And then somebody, as a beach lifeguard, you know, I was rescuing people here at the ocean and had people die on my arms and stuff. And then people said, ski patrol, do that. And then somebody said, why don't you go in the Air Force and be a pararescue? And I didn't think I had the, the, the stamina for that. But guys coached me, and so I became this pararescue. And I found I liked being in shape. I found I liked just being physically fit. Then I had five kids. And if any of you out there have had your batch of kids or whatever, um, I was a church planter, and I planted in Reno, Nevada. I chose Reno because it was a mission field for unchurched people, and it was really hard. I didn't think it was hard because I was young, but looking back, it was really hard with a young bride and planting something and selling used cars with your theology degree to try to get a foothold in the city. And um, I found that the only thing that I could control in my life was getting up out of bed, maybe, and having my quiet time, and then working out. Then after I was done working out, it was a scramble all day long. I never was in control of my life. And so I had learned early on as a kid to get up early and have my quiet time. But I get 30 minutes to, to 90 minutes, 60 minutes early in the morning and get my head on square, think the right thoughts, and confess the scriptures, and get, get that clear thing. Then no matter what happened to me the rest of my day, at least I had a base to, to fight off that day or to win in that day. And I found that my, my mental therapy, my, my, my therapist was getting in the gym and processing my thoughts and praying while I'm doing that. People say, can I train with you? I'd say, no, no, no. I just need to be alone and focus and get ready for my day. And that's what held me through 25 years as a senior pastor, as a church planter. We grew the church about 3,000 folks. And every day was a battle. It was a battle with staff. It was a battle with cops and police and youth group and, and things. It was a wild place. And so I'd go in the gym and I'd get physically exhausted and let the endorphins work. And that would be my, my medicine for the day. Then I'd focus on my day and it carried me on through. And it seemed like if I would stay physically active and work and think and process after getting my quiet time, um, I could handle being a senior pastor and a husband and a father of five and you know, staff of 15 full-time and 50 part-time, and we did six services a weekend and bought 100 acres of property and fought the city to build a church, and it was physical activity, exercise that kept me sane. So mm. that's where all that just came from. Mm. And so you alluded to it earlier when you said that, you know, you've been at the pinnacle of you know, in your earlier life where you've spoken to, you know, thousands and and then you, you alluded to, uh, you know, the, kind of being penniless and, and, and hugging a toilet on, in a Marriott hotel. Can you, can you take us to those some of those dark days? Because if you've lived long enough, you don't get out of this 
without some scars and some lessons learned. And I think that's, you know, like many, you've gone down that road too. You know, I, I think really what the guys need to hear is about brokenness. You can always hear the strong guys talk about the strong stuff. But at conferences, you know, you don't hear guys, you know, tell you about their dirty underwear and, and how they made it, what they went through it. Um, you know, for me, life, life was a challenge and life was good. 2008 uh, brought the recession. And I've been traveling with John Maxwell for about 10 years off and on. Um, last thing I did with John, the leadership coach, leadership teacher, was uh, we did the MBA program at Beijing University in Beijing. And we traveled off and on for those 10 years. Then Dr. Cole was another mentor of mine. And we traveled about 20 nations doing men's ministry, uh, 10 trips to Moscow, you know, 15 trips to Beijing, um, all over the world, you know, Philippines, Joint Chiefs of Staff. Um, and it got me, you know, we ended up doing 50,000 uh, leaders in Mexico City uh, to stuff. But then when 2008 came, the world crashed for me. And we lost our 100 acres as a church. Um, I lost my home. My home was, I did an owner build for 2.5 million and it went on the market for 700,000. And I've been on TV teaching people how to prosper and teaching leadership and how to be a stable guy. I was on TV for 22 years in my city. And all of a sudden I lost my home, lost the church property, lost the church and lost my marriage. My wife said, I've had enough of this ministry. I've had enough of your faith. <laughs> I've had enough of your, uh, your pioneering, and I'm done. And if you can't fix this and save our house, um, you fixed everything else. If you're a real man, you'd fix us, and we would not lose this house. And I went to the realtors, and I went to the judges, and I went to my mentors. They said, you're going to lose your house, dude. You're going to lose everything you saved for for the last 25 years. And I just shook my head and I, uh, I just, I did a pastor's conference and at the pastor's conference, I was supposed to do a women's meeting. I, my wife had said, go get a, go get a lawyer and you're done. And I, we were just, we were just fried. It was just hard. And um, I did a women's meeting and then I did the men's meeting and I did a pastor's conference. At the end, uh, a guy said, can we pray for you? And I said, sure. And I knew that I was going to be going through a divorce when I got on a plane to go home. And you know, you're, you're really anointed when you're really messed up. It's <laughs> yeah, a good way to put it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, those scriptures are never more alive than when you have a 35-year a Christian walk and you're getting ready to go home to a divorce and you're ministering and you're crying and people are, are you okay? And yeah, I'm fine. You know, you just, oh, God, here comes the guillotine, you know. Yeah. And so... These guys prophesied and said, you know, Robert, we see you in Acts 27. Don't know what it is, but it could have been a, you know, it was a recession coming on. And there was black clouds everywhere. So, you know, we just know you're going through something, and um, you're going to lose everything. But you're going to swim to shore, and you're going to live. And I had my eyes closed. Guys are laying hands on me, and they're saying, you okay? And I said, yeah. I just want to know, do I get bit by the snake? <laughs> in 28 from the fire you know they said I don't know they said we're well, going to lose everything and I said okay and then they said hey Robert what's going on in your life and all these pastors are sitting around and I said well you guys you know 
uh, I'm going to go home and go, go through a divorce. And they just looked at me. And I said, and I'm really sorry for disappointing you. And so I need to get off a plane and go home. And I went home and went through a divorce as a guy on TV teaching people how to prosper. And it was just the end. And the bottom of that was when I didn't have any money. Uh, I remember I was at LAX. I, somebody had asked me to speak, but they gave me a check. I didn't need a check. I needed cash. And I remember guys at the LAX and we had a lot of conferences at the Marriott Hotel in the years prior and I went out to the 405 there on Century Boulevard I stuck out my thumb for about oh, four hours from 8 to midnight one night and nobody would pick me up I was dragging my roller bag and I dragged that roller bag back to the Marriott and I knew the hotel from the conferences so I knew the handicap hotel on the first floor the men's room I put my bag up on top of the toilet and I got curled way around the back of that thing on that nice asphalt or not asphalt concrete tile floor and just hoped the janitor wouldn't come in, locked the door and went to sleep and spent the night hugging that throne until the next morning I found another way to get home hitchhiking again. I'm going to pause the conversation right there and pick it up next episode. See you then. If you've been encouraged and inspired by the show and you would like to know what else we've got going on, go to thekindlingfire.com. There you can join the Fire Starters, which is a Facebook Messenger community I let know first anytime I do anything. You can also get a book there called You Can Certainly Do It that I've written to really encourage you to take your first steps to really start the small fire that God's starting in your life. Uh, In addition to that, you can sign up for the seven-day Bible devotional, Become a Sign and Wonder. And as always, be awesome.